Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to yet another special episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we talk about two films uh, thematically linked, one mainstream and one cult. This is a special episode, though, so toss that out the window because we're going to talk uh, in, in the first of many entries of this series uh, about Star Wars. Now, last year in 2019 or 2020, sorry, the hell year, it's almost, it's going to be like floor 13 in a hotel. Uh, it's not going to exist. We're going to wipe it out. We're just going to go from 2019 to 2021. But uh, if you remember 2020, we covered a couple of Star Wars features. We covered the infamous Star Wars holiday special in December for uh, the holiday times. And then we also covered in December for holiday times, the two Ewok films, which it sounds like Disney is making canon as they have been released for streaming on Disney Plus. So check out those Ewoks movies. I personally think they're worth a watch, but listen to our episode from December of 2020 to learn more. This time around, we are going in somewhat chronological order uh, of, of the, the film's timeline rather than the release. So that means we are starting with the much debated and often maligned Star Wars prequel trilogy. These are the three films that starting in 1999 released uh, in theaters. They had large special effects budgets pushing Lucasfilm uh, and Industrial Light and Magic to their limits and uh, sort of launched some careers stalled some careers and completely ended probably one career so we're going to go into them uh, i think we will have a lot to say this is this could go either way uh when you listen to a podcast about the prequel trilogy of star wars it could be a bunch of nerds and fanboys and fangirls and fan non binaries ripping it to shreds saying that it's a garbage waste uh or it could be uh, a series of fanboys fangirls and non-binaries and nerds uh saying that they are unfairly treated um whereas the mainstream audience i think falls somewhere in the middle on each count so we'll see how it goes as always, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic. With us, we have our Star Wars specialist, Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Is everybody ready to listen and watch A Broken Man? Whoa, that's fun. That is fun. That's the best way to start a day. I, that's what my alarm clock says every morning. Uh, and we also have with us longtime contributor, Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? What up? I am not a broken man, and I'm happy to be here. You're quiet, man. You're a quiet man. Oh, am I? You're a little Shit. quiet. Uh, but I'm glad to have you here. Nobody, nobody in the history of time has ever said that to me. I'll, it's not. It's <laughs> true. One of them, not me. It's true. When we were in high school, Jeff often was the one that that my mother would come in the room and be like, "Jeff, 
you're being too loud. Uh, a family just, trait. I also had, I, I used bad language, which she didn't appreciate. That's true. Jeffrey. If it was quiet mm -hmm. with bad language, it probably would have been fine. It probably would have flown, yeah. The, the, the boisterous loudness of it. Uh, we also mm -hmm. have with us Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Wow. Um, I guess I'm okay. Made it through another week. Yay, podcast. Yay. That's right. Uh, and this one, you know, we watched three films for this one, and I personally actually binged them uh, nearly in a row, which is, as anybody has done in the theaters or with uh, Lord of the Rings or even the Harry Potter films, it is an experience, and once you get out, your kind of brain is just jelly in your head. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go film by film. Uh, this is going to be a two-parter, as many of our series are. So you're going to listen. You'll get uh, into our discussion in episode two of the series, and then uh, we will cut to next week when you will get uh, the rest of our discussion, episode two and three, and the series as a whole. So don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so other people can find us and send us emails at coltonclassicpodcast.gmail.com or on Instagram. So now that it's been about 5,000 minutes into the episode, I will actually start. So I'm going to set the stage real quick, give a little background. The Star Wars series came out, what, 1976? Is that when the first film came out? Um, Tad's on mute, but he's not. 77. 77, my bad. 77. Um, and then it carried into the uh, mid-early 80s with uh, the original trilogy. Now, it's interesting that the original trilogy was always part four, five, and six of the story. Uh, Star Wars, the, what we think of as the first Star Wars was episode four, uh, A New Hope. And then there was The Empire Strikes Back. And then there was... Uh, Return of the Jedi. So this is old hat. Uh, even people who don't care about Star Wars know that. Uh, this trilogy was released beginning in 1999. And then as is often the case with these big franchises now, they'll release the next film uh, on the holiday of the next year or two years in advance. Depends on the series and how far into production they are. So this trilogy was intended to be the origin of Darth Vader, fan favorite villain and cultural icon worldwide. Um, I remember, I was 15 when this movie came out, and I remember that it was it was a real cultural event because Star Wars had always been a, a, a family favorite, uh, and it also had achieved that upper level of cult film to where it's actually mainstream. Uh, but it's it's still a cult film because uh, you could still be considered a dork or a nerd uh, or a film buff by really knowing about it. Uh, right, right there next to like Blade Runner, things like that. Uh, but even more so, Star Wars is and has been discussed uh, philosophically and uh, in theological circles, even religion based. I mean, if you listen to uh, famous mythologist uh joseph campbell he was friends with george lucas uh during his life and he had some really great discussions on the hero's journey and how the star wars trilogy uh from starting in 77 really embodied that and that's why it speaks so directly to us as a culture and has survived so long so 1999's episode one the phantom menace was george lucas's first real dive back into the star wars universe sure there were the Ewok, there were one-offs here and there and, and other things um there's been comic books and books that are, are non-canon for decades uh since the original series but really this was the first return to the universe and i would argue as is the case with that it's sort of like writing a sequel to the bible you're guaranteed to fail uh 
across the board for everyone. You're going to have some people that love it and you're going to have some people that despise it and refuse to acknowledge it. And then you're going to have the rest of us probably in the middle. The Phantom Menace takes place uh, probably like, see, 19. So like almost 30 years before um, the 1977 Star Wars film, what we think of as the first Star Wars. And the plot, there's so much going on in these movies, yet really you can boil it down to uh, these Jedi Knights who are sort of the uh, galaxy police and moral force in the universe are, uh, they, they come across this kid who is really attuned to the force. We'll get into what they decided to do with the force in this trilogy that really made some people upset. Um, but the force is the power that uh, we all are connected to and we can call on and Jedi, people who have the ability can call on it and actually get special powers like good reaction time. They wield lightsabers. It's sort of a cultural slash physical uh, group. Uh, and so these two Jedi Knights, one in training, one uh, an actual Jedi, ma is Qui-Gon a Jedi master? I don't think Qui so. Qui-Gon's a master. Okay. Qui-Gon is a master. So uh, we have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course, uh, is, is, in the original trilogy, but this is when he was younger. They come across Anakin Skywalker, who is a slave on the pla planet of Tatooine, uh, which is the one ruled by the Huts. So it plays a big part in the Star Wars uh, world as we know it. And it, it turns out that this kid is essentially a Jesus figure. He was born of uh, the Force, so his mother apparently did not have uh, sex to to become pregnant, although. I think you could argue this with a lot of things. Whenever I hear it, anything uh, immaculate conception, I'm like, okay. Uh, but anyway, so he is uh, freed via a, a bet system uh, and goes with these Jedis to be trained. But the Council of Jedis, uh, headed by none other than Yoda, uh, very the most famous next to Darth Vader, Star Wars character, I would hazard to say, uh, says, mm, we don't know. We're not going to train him yet uh, because it's too iffy. He's There's a prophecy. It says that the person born of the Force will balance it out. They'll bring balance to the Force. But this kid has a lot of fear, and that can turn him to the dark side. The dark side, of course, being the opposite of the Jedi's uh, morally. And, uh, and, and people who go to the dark side are known as the Sith once they become uh, sort of knights of the dark side. So <clears throat> he ends up getting trained. Uh, and there's this whole other story where there is Queen Amadilla of a small planet named Naboo, or we don't know how big it is, I guess, named Naboo, who uh, is trying to... No, it literally says it's a small planet in, like, the opening stuff. And that made me wonder what the gravity was like, why they're not floating all over the place. But so whole sidebar soapbox right there. <laughs> it's about the density, Mandy. The density. Um uh... They're dense, and, that's for sure. Well, to be fair, that means that Naboo wasn't very dense because you remember how many times they mentioned the underwater caverns, so... Right, the underwater caverns. Uh... So this is one of those where... Um, and you know what, to be fair, Star Wars has never been sci heavily science-based. You know, if you, wanted sci if you wanted a little more hard sci-fi in your mainstream, you went to Star Trek um, and then uh, Next Generation and on. But Star Wars is more cowboys in space as we could see which we'll talk about way in the future with mandalorian is is much is very apt um but naboo is this planet for some reason it's very important there's a trade federation issue happening uh and they've sort of blockaded around the planet so this young queen is going to this central city uh 
to the Senate meeting of this whole galactic union that exists that they call the Republic. And uh, there are so many weird political things in this. It's actually not very complicated, but it's convoluted. There's a lot of different things happening at any one time. It gets to the point where later in this trilogy, you have cuts between characters where the character has about three seconds of screen time before cutting to the next thing. And it, it's that's literally that's not an exaggeration. That's yeah. I really felt like specifically with Phantom that like the movie, the way it was put together, it just felt like one very long trailer because of the cut, like the way things were cut and yeah. like the beats that they were hitting. They were like it was just everything was amped up. It was like super fast, and I was just like this. This feels like a like a trailer cut, not like a movie cut. Yeah. So we'll talk about. I want to talk about that in a minute. I just it, it's it's important to note. Like, I like watching these in the way that I saw them when they first came in theaters, much like the people of uh, the next, you know, the, the Gen Xers. I'm right on the cusp. I think most of us are technically millennials. Um, but it's like the seeing it in theaters is a little different. I really enjoyed this one when I saw it in theaters. It was one of those you had to wait, you know, at, all day, literally, like 10 hours to get tickets um, for this, if you could get tickets to see this. And um, I enjoyed it. I will say, even at the time, it was clearly not a perfect film. And it's only become more apparent as times have changed and as we've watched this. Uh, I will say, I'm not a defender of the prequel series as being perfect by any stretch or, or living up to the original trilogy. I do think it's probably been overblown how you know, you still hear people like, you know, I'm going to sue George Lucas for my ticket money back. You know, this it's ridiculous garbage. Um, go, if, go, go pester George R. R. Martin. He'll give you the finger. Um, but anyway, this queen, she goes to the Senate. Um, this guy is the chancellor, the, the leader of the Senate. He's trying to get it, or he's not quite the chancellor, but he's somewhere high up from her planet. And he is trying to get her to institute to, to basically oust the guy who's heading the Senate and, and put him in charge. Um, and I'm just gonna say this right now, as always there are spoilers for this, if you don't know the story, it's not gonna change your feeling about the movies. I don't think there's any big cliffhanger moments that happen here as far as like surprises. It's not that kind of movie, especially since it's a prequel series. If you've watched the original Star Wars, you know where shit's gonna end up. Um, but the guy that's trying to, to coerce the queen to do these things ends up being the emperor from the original trilogy he is darth sidious uh the emperor emperor palpatine he is the ultimate bad guy of, of the series and um we'll talk about him because i think he is the guiding light of this series and i actually think that he is brilliant and i absolutely love it um <laughs> dad's on mute but he's tenting his fingers giving to mr burns so anyway um this movie goes to the point where it ends let me remember where this movie actually ends yes it ends with anakin a young boy being taken in by the jedis and uh saying goodbye to the girl he has a crush on which is uh queen amadilla pa uh, padme and uh, played who these are all people you'll know acting wise we'll talk about that and uh that's kind of where it ends right i mean is there any big 
so so they're in the middle they're still in the middle of a trade war it's starting to show the republic is starting to show signs of civil war although that word isn't i don't think brought up we see that the jedis have a council that really don't know what they're doing they literally sit around in the equivalent of beanbag chairs uh in like a hotel conference room uh and and uh zoom calls right it's so zoom calls like when they're not there they have a little tele they have a little uh holographic avatar sitting in their same chair uh, and we get a lot of, of fan service uh, in the form of Easter eggs, characters from other things. Um, in one part in the Galactic Senate, where you have all these aliens in this giant cylindrical room, you actually there's you can spot a bunch of different ones. Like there's some ET like aliens, which I actually like that kind of Easter egg because that actually could tie the universes together. Like that seems like it's actually potentially possible. Uh, whereas others, like there's an Enterprise like ship in one of the uh, planetary orbits, that's a little less likely. It wouldn't work uh really they, they they had to be there in some sort of dimensional warp or something it doesn't quite work but that's okay the point being this movie has a lot of stuff going on and even though i just told you the plot there's a lot of other shit in there that i didn't talk about at all but it is in the movie and i think that speaks to the idea that this whole trilogy kind of is a little aimless um for me and uh, the most maligned part, there's actually two pieces, but the most maligned issue with Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was the introduction of the new comedic uh, relief character, Jar Jar Binks. So Jar Jar Binks is, um, he's, he, he's, he's a stereotype. He's a really, really rough Rastafarian, Jamaican stereotype character. He's an alien. He looks sort of like an aquatic anteater, bipedal. Um, his design, I think, is interesting. Um, I, I'm not quite sure like where the breakdown was in the concept, but there's two problems with him. One, his accent is very troubling. Uh, it's it's very problematic from a cultural standpoint. And we'll talk more about that because there's some other issues in this film as well with that. And then the other thing is that he's, com he's comedy relief to the Michael Bay level, like the little side uh, robots that fit in the living room in the Transformers sequels, like that level. They have zero effective skills. They bumble through everything and you actually don't at the end have respect for them. You don't understand why they're there. It's not like they actually have that one redemption moment where they stand up and they're like, I can do that. They don't it have that. Gets, and it only gets worse in the Clone Wars. And remember Nate, um, because I do remember, maybe you don't, but remember when uh, The Daily Show was run by Craig Kilborn? I do, yes. You remember the segment? After he ran the soup, yeah. Right after this movie came out, and even back then in 1999, everyone was still going, wow, this is an incredibly insensitive racial stereotype where they had a skit where it was uh, Jar Jar out in the middle of a cotton field, and he's like, me Jar Jar, me pick cotton all day long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real rough, and the when I talked about the acting cast here, uh, the actor that played Jar Jar Binks, uh, his name is Ahmed Best. Um, he, he is sort of credited with destroying his career. And there have been uh, very large, uh, very large groups of people who have talked about the fact that he was considered one of the best up and coming black comedic actors and this really, really damaged career. And it did damage his career. Um, there's no question. Now, it, I'm not, it's not to say that he doesn't have work. He does work. He does a lot of voice work. Um, and he, he has re reprised Jar Jar Binks 
many times. Um, so it's not that, you know, I don't know how he feels about that. I'm sure there are interviews with him, but it definitely was one of those instances where it did not help his career at all. Um, I hope he still gets paychecks from it. You deserve to, but really this, this lands at George Lucas's doorstep. This was a mistake. And the other mistake that I want to touch on before I get to the, the, the second thing people always complain about this movie is the, the other racial issue with the, um, is it the, the Viceroy or the Viscount? I can't remember, but they're the very, they're the true. I didn't hear you, Tad. What did you say? Viceroy. Viceroy. Yeah, they're the um, the, the head of the Trade Federation, um, and they're really heavy-handed Asian stereotype voices. Their their character design is really cool. They're practical effects mixed with 3D, but it's just a bad decision. And I'm I'm not going to say I know what the thought process was, but here's what I guess the thought process was. I I guess the thought process was we need diversity because that's a good idea because diversity is a good idea we have aliens we can have whoever we want for god's sakes you know like we have um the, the movie series this particular iteration of the series has people of color in many different roles so we well, let's bring that in the problem is is that you brought in specific stereotype sounding dialect so instead of being innocuous or sort of general as i think the idea was and just making it seem like we have people from all over and aliens from all over it literally sounds like you're making fun of people uh, and that's a problem and it it seems like it was so clearly hit on in episode one that while the characters are still present in episodes two and three they they definitely trimmed out a huge amount of it um you get very you get only the amount necessary of them to move the plot along if that uh for example jar jar banks is in a handful of scenes in the second and third of this trilogy and um the viceroys uh, they're in a couple they deliver a couple of lines but they're essentially just there to mark the end of the movie's trilogy by getting killed um so they they don't have a lot of uh impact but those those are things that are are immediately recognizable um uh, even at the time of launch in 1999 and as tad said and especially now that we are in the film world much more culturally aware uh, or, or at least we should be and we should continue to be educating ourselves about that that's the number one thing we talk about uh when we talk about the star wars trilogy especially episode one is jar jar banks the second thing is people often complain that anakin skywalker uh is annoying now I will push back on this one because I actually think in, in Phantom Menace, watching it for the hundred millionth time, I don't think that Anakin Skywalker, played by Jake Lloyd, who's uh, sort of lived the life of the child star. He's had some some rough patches and things. Uh, uh, he also was in Jingle All the Way with Schwarzenegger, if, if anybody remembers that, which I think we all do. Um, I don't think it was annoying. Uh, writing for kids is hard. And getting an, a child actor who can do lines and give a little bit of emotion, um, I actually thought it was good. His sort of like romantic inclination towards the like five-ish year older uh, Padme was cute. It didn't come across as gross. Uh, I, I really don't think there's any problem here with that. And I didn't at the time either. I, I guess my guess is, and, and panelists will fill me out on this, but I think there's some probably some issue with people not liking the idea that this toe-headed 
kid who's quote unquote cute is Darth Vader. Um, well, get over it. That's somewhere. what the entire trilogy is about. What I, I actually thought I took a little bit of a, a different take on that, uh, having watched this again. I, I actually think they they just maybe were a little bit um, focused in casting to make the kid look like Luke. They do for sure. Um, rather than finding the kid that's gonna, you know, bring power and gravitas to the role. Not that, uh, you know, there are many kids that are capable of that, but I've seen better child actors and sure. I've seen worse. So seen a lot worse um and and that's not even a, an insult to them they're kids um we've seen true it's true we've seen better i mean we've seen stranger things has great kid cast uh they grow up quick they're uh but you know uh, so we've seen it harry potter we've seen it i will say that um Tickloid's a little younger than than most of those uh it seems so i i, I feel like they really did cut the edge of it i think if there is annoying the only times and i saw this later in the series as well in this trilogy the most, the only time that I find anything annoying is when they had the one-off jokes, like when they're supposed to say a line. It happened in the pod race scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, um, where uh, it's like, oh, this is going to be a rough one. Things like that. Uh, it's just the one-off lines that filmmakers feel like they have to throw in there. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, producers often want that. Studios often want that kind of thing. I think it's ridiculous because it does not it is often very forced um, punch up writers are often forced to write this kind of garbage into a script. Um, it's, it's something that like uh, Ayers suicide squad films suffered from Warner brothers. Like it's not funny enough. Well, so what happened? They put in a bunch of garbagey one-liners that they forced Margot Robbie to spew against a brick wall so they could shove it wherever they want. Like that's the kind of stuff that production uh, occasionally does <clears throat> cramming it into a film. In this case, Lucas did have complete control. So he, it, it really does fall on his shoulders. Um, but those are the two things I think people complain <clears throat> the most about Phantom Menace. And now, now that I've, I've babbled my head off, let's tackle it as a group. I will open it up by saying the first thing I noticed watching this again is I was stunned, and Mandy, you got to this point, how fast it got into the action to the actual detriment of the plot and the film itself. I did not know anything about the characters. I mean, even though I quote unquote know who Obi-Wan is, I didn't know anything about them when this film started and it crammed through all the way to the end. And I got zero character development um, except for maybe a little bit between Padme and, uh, and Anakin. So I actually prepared something for this exact point. <clears throat> so I actually went through the first 30 minutes of a new hope. And I went to the first 30 minutes of Phantom Menace and I like just wrote down the plot points. Mm -hmm. And I think this will kind of illustrate if this is 30 minutes, this is like, this is, this is, this is like nothing. Right. So in Phantom Menace, we, uh, we start out with some exposition on the separatists and, and whatnot. And we have the two Jedi uh, show up at their, their ship for some negotiations. Uh, negotiations turn south immediately. Uh, they have to fight their way out of a poison conference room. Uh, they got to fight through droids to get to the separatist leaders. Uh, they eventually get pushed, uh, you know, off of the ship and they have to escape through this, essentially this droid invasion. So they're running away from this droid invasion. They meet Jar Jar. Jar Jar then takes them to the Gungans. Uh, they meet the Gungans. Which is the uh, underwater city Tad mentioned. The underwater city. They make a negotiation for, to get a ship. Uh, meanwhile, the capital of Naboo is captured by the Separatists. Uh, 
the Jedis make their way through the planet. This is 30 minutes. I'm not even done with the 30 minutes yet. Not even close. <laughs> they make their way through the planet, through this, this water ship thingy. Uh, they arrive at the palace of uh, the Naboo. They liberate, the, the Jedis liberate <clears throat> Princess Padme. Uh, they escape on a ship. Narrowly, you know, they're, they escape through, uh, like they lose like a bunch of droids, but R2 survives, uh, you know, kind of starting his, his journey. Uh, and then they arrive on Tatooine. And that's the end of the 30 minutes. It's too much. Let it's me, a literal so, movie. Like that's, that's a, that's that should things. have been the whole that's movie. That's a movie. Yeah. And so then in, in the A New Hope, uh, there's a message put in R2-D2. He, he goes to Tatooine. He gets picked up by Jawas. He's bought by Luke. Uh, he finds the message. R2 runs away. They meet Obi-Wan. That, that that's that's the, the comparison of the 30 minutes it's literally like, just what? what if you were to take say a sidfield script writing class and you were to talk about the first act that sets up the rising action the exposition essentially first or the backstory that's necessary and then you approach that rising action that you just described that in a new hope that's the 30 minutes that's exactly the page count essentially you should have it's a third of the movie yeah. you're getting at the end of the first act uh and then whereas as you said episode one it is it is it is mind meltingly fast um and part of the issue is is that we like i said it doesn't that kind of breakneck speed does not give you time to even begin to care about a character um and it really 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 hurt the process like it made every all the mis it made all of the story elements they were trying to shove in too transparent for example a child could see that Jar Jar Binks was supposed to be a joke within seeing him for the first 10 seconds. And it was, it's too much. It's too much. It pulled the, it pulled the veneer so tight. It pulled that curtain so tight that you could see directly through to the skeletal structure of the film. And it was a mess. Um, yeah. <clears throat> seeing it in theaters for the first time, this was, a this was heavily, uh, affected by the fact that the effects for 1999 were mind-blowing. Um, I was actually a little surprised at how well they held up. I mean, this is over 20 years old uh, at this point. And while I can certainly see, especially when you have um, 3D renderings on a, a real setting, like a backdrop, like it's the stuff that always gives it away, right? When they interact with a real person and they touch them or they touch the ground or their, their background is real, but the foreground isn't. Those things always show a little bit of, um, even in the newest films, you, you, that's where you tend to see issues. And this one certainly has it, but there's no question that this was, I mean, I was not impressed by Avatar because I play video games. I know what current generation three-dimensional technology is capable of. But this at the time was truly on a level we had never seen before. And haven't seen much of since i mean the, the disney's technology with the mandalorian rap screen and everything that's pretty that's pretty good i think that's the next step um but this was top notch and it weirdly enough it seems to improve throughout the next two films um it's like they were constantly tweaking things as the technology updated even though they were in production at the same time okay so uh tad what 
what do you have to say about this? Because there's so much I could just dive into. <laughs> there's, there's You're like scared to ask him. Yes, because there's too much. It's like opening Pandora's box. Just, has, what's coming out? We've all known each other half of our lives. Nate knows my actual opinion on this movie. <laughs> my friend Matt and I saw this movie seven times in the theaters. We were notorious for having seen it that many times. I think I went uh, a couple times with you guys. Yes, I went a couple did. times too. You, you, you were almost everyone except for Amanda was there with us, and um, at the time at that formative, I probably gave you guys a ride. That's so, you awesome. probably you know, did. I probably gave you guys a ride to at least before one of we them. all finally got our own cars. Yes, because you guys were like fifteen, so you weren't really driving yet, right? So, Just getting our permits. Yeah, good old New Hampshire. Start going, young. Going to the <laughs> Going to the old Barrington Cinema to see it for the. I never, I never got my permit. I just had Matt and Jeff drive me everywhere. Um, but anyway, so yes, yeah, so you saw it seven times. So, I have a, I have a, a pretty good recollection of seeing this movie in the theaters. But I also have a recollection of what cultural impact this movie had. And as some people our age may recall, there were, I think it was Coke cans. Like there were, there were just everything was star wars yep and then literally a year later we were all kind of like what's the next one going to be like because this one kind of just not only left us on a cliffhanger but it really didn't tell anything as jeff pointed it all out we this this trilogy was clearly trying to tell the entire story of anakin's life in three films and that wasn't going to work. And not even focusing on Anakin for most of it. It was trying um, to tell, it was trying to bridge the gap politically, socially, and also tell the story of Anakin's life. And it was trying to do that all within maybe six, six and a half hours. It's Can all seven. So the first film is about two, if you count credits, about two hours and 16 minutes. And then the second and third are about two hour and 20 minutes. So it's, yeah, it's, it's basically, it's like seven hours, um, which... At the time, people were like, oh, my God, it's so long. But now that's, of course, a memory uh, th that, you know, I mean, I love Zack Snyder, um, so I'm not going to say anything. And Disney and Marvel are are equally guilty of this. Um, it's just the way things are. And frankly, if it's a good story, I'll make a trip to the bathroom and come back. I'm not worried about it. Now we're um, used to uh, a three hour poorly paced uh, Avengers Endgame or we're going and the last and this is the thing we're well past the era where we're going to be standing in line for two to three hours to get into a movie because the last time all of us actually dealt with that was in the lord of the rings trilogy we have not dealt with that since no matter True. what it is not i have never had to stand in, in line for a star wars movie ever again well it's and i think part happened. of it too is it's not just it's also that theaters are more equipped for it right like um we had theaters are are really like well we're going to show it on six screens because anything smaller than an you know than an octoplex has gone out of business so or it's an indie theater now so i'm not saying it's it's good or bad but they seem to be better paced for this and the pre-sale of tickets is done in a different way and you get your tickets based on seat remember how obnoxious it was and some places still do this but most seem to have gone to assigned seating which it used to be way back in the day um but remember how insane it was to buy tickets and then go and be like there's no seats yeah, you, you, I mean, that's, that. it's madness. It's like, you know, it's like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pay to watch a movie on Delta, you know, like it's not the way it should be done. But when uh, I went to see Iron Man, I had to, I was in the frontest of the front rows and I actually strained my neck looking up at the screen. It was worth it, 
but I hate it though. Yeah. I things have, things have changed since then. I've yeah. sat in the aisle before until I've so, asked to leave. And then I walk out, use the restroom and go back in and sit in the aisle. So um, you pointed out a great point is that the, the, the star Wars trilogy kind of helped to modernize the theater industry and help them realize they were not capacity planning well enough. Yeah, they're losing money on it. I mean, because the thing people are like, well, they don't make, you know, films don't make their movies in the theatrical run. That's true. Theaters make their money in the theatrical run. So they argue, you know, people will say like, well, they don't, but that's, they're two separate industries. Um, they have connections, but they are definitely separate. And we're seeing that more and more now that streaming has arrived and people are like, oh, theaters are going to die. Well, they're not going to die, but they're going to struggle before they adapt. Uh, it's just the reality that we face uh, and every industry changes and, and we're in the middle of one now. Um, Mandy, what what was your take when you first saw this and how do you feel about uh the rewatch now so i remember like seeing originally i i probably saw it in the theater because we just talked about everyone everyone did that um i remember feeling like pretty underwhelmed by it as like a follow-up to this magical trilogy that i remember growing up with like it being so cool and a thing that like i specifically remember some of my older cousins being into um, that I was like too young for um, to really appreciate. And I was like, oh, and I'm like, that's what they did with this? Like, that's not so great. Like, I don't know the characters. Anakin seems super cute. Like, I don't see the connection or like the foreshadowing to him becoming like a Sith Lord. Like, like you think there would at least be like some glimmers of that like in there, um, like, like the seed to plant it like early on. Um, even just like the trauma of a childhood as a slave being separated from his parents. Like there was almost like, he was like, oh, will I see you again? What is your heart telling you? It was like super cheesy and like, don't look back, son. And like, he just he yeah. goes. And, like You never see him crying. You just see him like having a crush on this girl that he met. Crying is for um, the second movie. Right? Um, like, like and yeah. not in, I don't know, like in a very different like angsty teenager way but yeah so anyway i was just like i remember feeling disappointed i also remember my little brother really enjoying the pod racer game that came out after it and I thought that, that, was that game is so good and so hard <laughs> it's so, it yeah. so hard they remastered remember? it a couple of years ago and you can get it on all major systems right now and it is so hard yeah i remember jeff being really good at it but you're like good at all games well, let's talk about this pod I remember, I couldn't beat one of the levels like when I was a kid. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I think about it every once in a while. I'm like, I bet you now I'm older, I could beat it. Like, really? I should go well, back and like, I should I think, go back and play that shit. I think I still have it because I still have the 64 <laughs> and I probably true. still have the cartridge. Um, But yeah. And then like my only other thought was like kind of watching that and then like having my memories of like um, second movie and the third movie being like, wow, like it really feels like the maturity level of this film is kind of matched to the age of Anakin as the character. And then like yeah. the maturity levels of the next two films are kind of more matched to the age of the character versus like the age of the audience, which I thought was very interesting and not something I necessarily noticed the first time I, I watched it. I, I actually, I love that you said that because I actually felt the same way and I was having trouble putting it to words, but you, you nailed it, um, which is probably why I, I enjoyed the first film when it came out and for what it was, I still enjoy it. Um, you mentioned the pod racing scene. It is like a third of the film. I actually love it. Uh, the sense of speed was great. The design was great. You really can't fault Star Wars for the design of most things. They have some of the most talented um, graphic designers and illustrators to ever, I mean, everyone wants to do it. Um, but 
the so the first movie I enjoyed, but it is upon this watching, I was surprised at how thread threadbare the the structure felt. Um, and then I always despised the second movie and we'll get into that and maybe some changing feelings with some same feelings with some newly inflamed things nobody um, likes being 15 exactly 15 i hated adolescence i hated totally. it um i i hated everything about it and and then the the final movie is what most people and critics consider to be the strongest of the original trilogy uh, or the prequel trilogy yet and i do identify with it more but there's still some things that I don't like about it, but they're radically different. And we do see as films progress, um, stories progress, they tend to get darker. Uh, and I think part of it is just writers struggling to up the ante all the time uh, and, and stuff like we see it with Harry Potter. You know, the, the last few books are, and or films are much darker than the beginnings. Um, and uh, it just happens. I mean, the end, if you watch the Hobbit trilogy, I mean, of course, the book is amazing. I grew up with the book. It's probably my first, uh, the first book I ever remember getting to the end. Um, my mom read it to me. It was wonderful. But Mine too. It's the first chapter book I ever remember. It is so good. Um, I love it. It's a special place in my heart. And the films, I think, did a fun job. But like the last movie, like kind of like the end of the book, even more so when it's in film form, it's brutal. It's brutal. It destroys your soul. Um and, or at least your heart, uh, and this this sort of does a similar thing. The overarching issue, I think, with the, the prequel trilogy, which is often said, I'm not the first person to say this, this is a story that, that it doesn't have a traditional beginning, middle, and end. It is not suitable to be the kind of trilogy that uh, the original New Hope through Return of the Jedi is. There's no um, traditional story arc, and that makes it difficult for us to follow. Now, you could argue that's a cultural restraint because although uh, as we've become more homogenized as a species, um, we do recognize three-act structure uh, more readily, and there are reasons biologically that people postulate that's true. Um, but whatever the case, we expect there to be um, an introduction, rising action, strong conflict, resolution, and, or falling action and then a resolution. Like that's the uphill, downhill we expect. And in this trilogy, it's pretty much absent because the entire story is telling how this kid goes from slavery, which by the way, I'd forgotten. I've seen this so many times. I'd forgotten he was a slave because it is not presented he, he in any like form of nice, slavery i've ever heard of he has a yeah. like nice happy idyllic childhood where he gets to yeah. drive like hover cars and, and fix robots make robots yeah it's, it's real like i i think that was something that i don't even see talked about hobbies? that much yeah yeah like and like ownership of things like, it's like if yeah. if somebody told if if i was a kid and they were like you're my slave here's a bunch of comic books like that's <laughs> like that that doesn't really fly and i think that that's part of the issue i think um, if you want to list nate right well yeah i know um but it's it's true though like it just didn't really work that way but he goes from slave to um sort of chosen knight to um uh in training to fallen angel like it's it's a huge leap um for this character and we this is not a problem that uh is old news we are getting this again and again and again we just got disney's doing it all over the place we just got it with cruella the idea that these villains who are really reprehensible um have a story to tell now we talk about that in in writing all the time like every character is the hero of their own story right 
but that's in their head. We can understand them. We can see it. But to say that a villain who wants to skin a bunch of puppies for no reason whatsoever um, is 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 a a story I want to hear. Um, not really. And uh, and I'm not dissing people who like the film. I just again I think that the problem is is you are making a hero out of a character that is inherently not a hero in the general consensus of viewership. So you have to change it because we don't want to watch Henry portrait of a serial killer with Darth Vader. We don't want to watch that. So when you get this idea, you have to make him likable. And that is, Jeff has brought this up before in other films, when the character's not likable, it's a harder sell. It doesn't mean you have a bad movie, but it's gotta be a different kind of movie. And so what happens is, is they're like, well, we can't make that kind of movie. So we will do the opposite, which is to turn this character into a lovable character. Now, I think we can safely move on to the second episode. I'm gonna break this up into two. There's so much to talk about. Um, I have one thing. Yes, so please do. People want a really detailed breakdown of bad stuff of Phantom Menace. Go to Red Letter Media's Mr. Plinkett's seven part, yes, seven part analysis of the Phantom Menace. It literally takes longer to watch his analysis than it does to watch the movie. Uh, I think I've watched it like three times. I have enjoyed it more than watching the film. Um, so plug for them. It's like an older thing. I think they still do new episodes on movies and stuff. Uh, awesome. Absolutely. And there are so many. I mean, we are by far the first and uh, we are not the last to talk about this. Uh, and I do want to mention this too. Um, uh, the there is there's always been rumors, of course, of the lost cut of the original Star Wars film, which has never been released. Um, and uh, sure, I'm sure it exists. Uh, I, I maybe if somebody has it, send me a link. Um, but uh, there was the uh, the for a long time, the rumor that there was a um, Jar Jar Binks edit that George Lucas made, which is, this is not true. So this is what actually occurred. A group of people took um, the, I believe a Japanese laser disc version of the film. Uh, I could be off on the details, but I believe that's it. And they cut what they called the Phantom edit. It does not remove Jar Jar Blinks completely. What it does is it does actually change a few points and it removes the ridiculous comedic moments that were the biggest detractors from the film as a whole. Now, it got such press in the underground circuit and even some in the mainstream that George Lucas uh, asked his, his uh, assistants to get a copy. And there was some idea that maybe he would actually release this copy or do something similar. Uh, but apparently he didn't like it uh, because it was a press release came out afterwards said this is not our cut this is an illegal cut of the film uh if you're watching this don't watch it it's 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 an illegal cut so and by illegal cut i guess they mean it's a bootleg because they're not getting any money from it and it's not the film as they originally intended it i do give credit for lucas mm. uh for a lot of things including he has generally been very open about people working with his property so i actually buy the idea that he said, well, I want to see this cut. And if he'd loved it, he probably would have done something with it or something like it. Um, he's always been a big fan of, of Star Wars fan films. There are millions of truly amazing Star Wars fan films. Maybe we'll do an episode on them sometime. Um, out there, go watch them. Um, Lego Star Wars is a big fun thing that, that they've allowed to do. Um, granted, that's, you know, uh, now Disney owns it, so they'll do more. But again, 
I think he's pretty open with that. So I thought that was an interesting story. You can find the Phantom edit out there. Um, who knows if it's actually the Phantom edit that was circulating at the time. Um, uh, I'm sure there are a couple of edits. But uh, the Phantom edit is the original one that started the whole Jar Jar Binks edit. Uh, uh, interesting. Yep. I'd kind of like to see that because I actually think that like even I kind of like watched this like almost imagining Jar Jar was in there. And I still thought the tone was a little silly. Like even you take out all like the really slapsticky Jarger thing, it like it felt like he never wanted to like let like a serious moment stand. Um, there's like a lot of serious topics, and like you know obviously the concept of comic relief is you cut some of these you know really tense, heavy issues with a little bit of a little bit of a laugh. Um, but it felt like he, he just was just heavy handed through the whole film. Like sure. even like the pod racing felt kind of silly. It was like, I, I like it almost felt like the whole movie was like a you know rodeo clown coming out on a bull, and you're like, sure, cool, I mean, you just did something amazing, but like where's the punchline? Like I'm I'm waiting for the joke. Like, right. It's, uh, and the Gungans I, I in this general, was to, you know, be funny. <laughs> the Gungans, I didn't I didn't mind the Gungan design. In fact, the Gungan like high chief or president or whatever he is. I actually much preferred that design. He doesn't really look like the other Gungans, so it's a little confusing, but who knows what their system is like or their species. I don't know. They're aquatic. Maybe they're tadpoles, my wife says. It's a good idea. Anyway, um, it was a little less racially insensitive and a little more alien and a little more interesting. Uh, however, and actually, again, the design, I liked it, but we did get a lot of this weirdness with like, the weapons that the Gungans use are all very, they're big, round, colorful balls and their electricity. I didn't hate it, but it felt, as you said, a little juvenile compared to what might happen, which is interesting because as Mandy said, the, the films definitely age up in tone exponentially or, you know, with each. Yeah, I mean, like this tone felt like, you know, like Roadrunner cartoon, like throughout. Mm -hmm. And then like, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier real quick. And and before we move on, we do have to mention, of course, Qui-Gon is the Master Jedi mentor of uh, Obi-Wan, and he's played by Liam Neeson. Uh, and he's the one that sort of orchestrates freedom for Anakin and recognizes in him this great uh, strength of force. And he is killed at the end of this movie by uh, the most famous new character from this film that is an infamous, uh, Darth Maul. Um, played by Ray Park, voiced by somebody else, because no one likes to give uh, uh, stunt people their own voice, apparently. Um, Ray Park, Tad and I know, famously uh, levied for an Iron Man role for an eternity with uh, uh, pre-existent Marvel Studios. Didn't happen. Uh, that's okay. It's not okay, actually. It's really upsetting. Um, but he did a great job as Darth Maul. Um, I guess... There's all sorts of rumors surrounding the character of Darth Maul because they did bring him back. Uh, he's killed after Qui-Gon is killed. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, Obi-Wan cuts him in half and probably the best death scene next to the, f the end of episode three in this trilogy uh, where he falls down a well and then he slowly separates and you see that he's in two. Um, but he is... Uh, I, I don't know. So Qui-Gon... I don't know how to, I don't know really how to phrase it because Qui-Gon, again, we don't get a lot of characterization in this movie. I think the most we get is Padme and Anakin. And Qui-Gon is very, I guess, George Lucas used the term monk-like, which kind of makes sense. He's very rule-driven. Um, and of course, then we get Obi-Wan, who's less, who's more 
he's less rule driven and more um a man of action and then of course we get anakin who turns out to be a a a monster in some ways and is is even less so so we see the degradation of this but i looking back on this qui-gon makes some huge mistakes he's the one that pressures everyone to accept anakin which yeah i mean he does bring balance to the force but it's after a lot of bloodshed um and some children and um he also there's there's weird plot holes in it that just i don't buy like a lot of the issues with anakin's troubled self that leads to his dark side you know switch seem to be his mother and qui-gon does not try very hard to get uh anakin's mother out of slavery in fact it seems like a really easy fix in fact it seems like once you're abducted into the jedi order you kind of could say hey by the way can we spare a little money so my mom can get out of eternal servitude on a yeah, dust like planet I'm, I'm now you know a subject of your organization for the rest of my life can like get like a few few dollars and you know send right. the ship out and rescue my yeah it really it didn't it didn't hold water and i didn't understand that like, um, even if you didn't have to have a relationship with her like i don't know what the situation is they take kids from their parents but like even if he just knew she was safe i don't know madonna's safe. on the podcast next week we'll ask her okay just kidding um she's uh, she's not on the podcast it but, is my it, it is my impression that that is part of anakin's turn to the dark side is at some point, especially when you grow up and you realize that the people who were supposed to be taking care of you did nothing to help you sure. emotionally or or in any way like that, where it's like you, you they knew where his emotions lie and they did nothing. And I think that's also part of the theme of they were so goddamn ignorant as to what the hell was going on around them that they were they were that stupid that they didn't realize that it's like this kid's going to come back and murder all of you. Well, let's, let's let's get to the second episode two then here because this is kind of where that happens, right? Anakin is um, a young man in in two. Uh, I think he's 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 probably like sixteen ish, uh, and and Padme I guess is like five ish years older, so she's like early twenties. Although it's she's played by Natalie Portman, so she always looks five years old. Um, she's a great actress, absolutely love her. Uh, and we should mention too. I didn't even touch on the amazing cast that is in this trilogy, really. Um, but just check out the IMDb page or the credits list. It's, it's pretty impressive. Kira Knightley had um, played uh, Natalie Portman's um, the Queen Amadilla's double in many scenes. Um, and uh, they're kind of, they're not indistinguishable in reality, but they're very similar from a distance. All the wide shots, who knows? Uh, people still argue about which shot is which. Doesn't really matter. Um, but so episode two is when Anakin starts to show doubt about his his really being a good candidate for a Jedi. And it's also where he shows a lot of like almost sociopath like light sociopathic tendencies as far as like, I need to be the like, why don't I get this? Why are I'm better than that? But also then like I'm crying, like I shouldn't feel that way. I'm a Jedi. Like I shouldn't have these feelings. And it's tough because as Mandy said, it's clearly. I don't think it was without recognition that this was like an adolescence thing, right? Like we get, um, you know, he cries multiple times in this film, which I don't think is a bad thing at all. Somebody I know, uh, like I hate uh, Rocky Balboa, the movie, uh, because Rocky cries several times. I'm like, he's an old man who's losing people he loved and he spent his life getting beaten to a pulp. Um, I mean, even... (laughs) Even if he wasn't played by Sylvester Stallone, who had a stroke at a young age, he would still sound like that. Um, but so I, I like movies where they're not afraid to have men show emotion. 
That said, uh, Hayden Christensen, who plays uh, Anakin in this and and the final movie of this trilogy, um, I don't even think in the beginning it was, oh, he's doing a bad acting job. And I disagree with that now looking back, but I do think he was handed really raw ma- rough material this go around because a lot of the stuff that he look i people who know me and i've done it on this podcast have heard me rail against episode two episode two being the worst star wars film to date uh and 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 really bad that's not incorrect but i i will say i'd forgotten how many of my favorite scenes from the prequel trilogy were actually in this movie um and, and, ta- and Jeff, you, you mentioned breaking down the first 30 minutes of Phantom Menace and A New Hope. I actually kept checking the timer uh, at the beginning of episode two because I was like, you know what? The first 40 minutes are actually pretty solid of this movie. Yes. Um, and it, it, it solves a lot of the problems that, that Phantom Menace had with pacing because we already know who the characters are by name and sight. But now we get to hear them talk um, with each other. We have a little bit of downtime. And we have this really great scene that has one thing I hate. Um, where Padme is, she's they're mul- she's facing multiple attempts on her life, and they do the old um, uh, ninja uh, uh, murder trick where somebody lets these like creatures in over the bed. It's the equivalent of dropping poison into their mouth from the ceiling that you see in all the the ninja movies, um, and or samurai films that also have it. And uh, there's these two creatures, these little centipede things yeah yeah and and they're climbing in and uh, all of a sudden uh obi-wan and anakin who are bickering outside the princess's drawing room while she's sleeping uh notice it and they leap in the room instantly cut the things into and then this is my favorite moment of the whole film with like half a beat obi-wan looks sees the droid that put them out the window and he just full-on leaps through the glass and grabs on the droid and goes on a hanging chase throughout um, this city. Now, it's a great scene. It's very quick. It's the best directed scene, in my opinion, of the entire trilogy. Uh, it's including lightsaber fights and so on. It's, it's, but it's, it's one of the scenes that's so small, it's easy to not appreciate. And I've always been in love with that scene. The part that I hate is when Anakin's going after him in, in some sort of cruiser. Uh, and uh, I don't, it's, not even, it's not even that. It's they crash. Is it Anakin? Who, who land it is it's anakin he's and somehow re- there's cake in a microwave there's cake in a microwave <laughs> and are you, no are you talking about the bum physics where like they get in a car yes. crash and basically they just tumble and they're okay yeah they hit the ground after speeding in these you know uh air taxis and and he just rolls like into into some empty boxes like it's literally it is they just didn't even try to get the speed physics right because they could have it's not like they didn't have their attention to details very high in these films they're also jedi it's believable it's but here's the thing it's believable i would have been happier if he landed on his feet and then had to like run stumble or like do a backflip but just tucking and rolling and like gently careening into a, a, a plastic trash bin really did not do it for me um fans nate has been complaining about this exact same scenario for 20 years now 20 years i'm not even kidding like really it's been ever this is always comes up uh and there's my other complaint uh so anyway they're trying to figure out who's doing this uh anakin wants to go find the culprits whereas obi-wan is like our mission is just to protect uh queen amadilla and is she queen still queen at this point she's still queen no is she she becomes a senator at some senator. point. She becomes um, a senator. So let's talk about just one real quick thing. 
everything makes sense, even though it's convoluted, until you look too close to certain things. Why do they have a queen when it's clearly a democracy, so they're elected? It's not a, it's not a hereditary assignment. But if it's not a hereditary assignment, why did they elect someone who at most was 15 years old as queen? And because they're acting like she's naive. Well, if she's naive, she wouldn't have been elected probably. That's that's the only case. You can only have that situation generally when it's hereditary because then the, the, the matriarch or patriarch die and the child becomes. So that didn't make sense. Um, clearly, she it didn't make sense. They needed to touch on that or just obliterate the fact that that there was a, she queen. Was a political savant man yeah. come it's, on it, it really it's well the future and so and she past. is very adept uh, she is very strong-willed at least which is nice because we yeah. see sort of the beginnings of princess leia although she's not near as strong-willed as carrie fisher's character uh who is such a treasure um but we we start to get a little bit of the breakdown of the strength in the character i never i don't think she's ever weak in this movie she does have plenty of moments where she's not um and actually, I guess this one, she was pretty strong, which was nice. But in episode three, which we'll get to, I do feel like there's a, a break in her character and she becomes a little less her character. Um, but in episode two, it's where Obi-Wan goes off to fight. Who is he fighting? Is Grievous too? Django Fett. Django Fett. He went to Kamino to figure out where the clones were coming yes, from. Yes, so they find out that there's this big clone army that apparently a previous Jedi master, as far as they know, uh, ordered. Um, so this, this distant planet that uh, has been hidden from the Jedi records is creating uh, hundreds of thousands of clones. They're cloned from Django Fett, who is the clone daddy of uh, uh, Boba Fett, which, of course, we all know and love from everything else. Um now, so Jango Fett is not Boba Fett. He is not as adept, but we do get some fun fight scenes in a rainy water planet with uh, Jango Fett and Obi-Wan. Meanwhile, with these, to pair with these amazing action scenes, we have my most hated scene in the cinema, which is, this is what I've really been talking about for 20 years, is uh, Padme and Anakin um, frolicking through a meadow with space cows. Now this it's mandy you're on mute <laughs> oh yeah i so wasn't the, actually verbalizing anything i was just like just the asking the gods like where i mean the dialogue in that scene didn't save it for you the dialogue no. so here's you know <laughs> they what? literally roll through the grass like the rolling is over the top because here's the like, deal it's just at the this age at this thing. age anakin has had a sheltered life it seems he probably has not had sex with someone which is fine um, Padme has definitely probably had sex with someone. It would seem very weird if she wouldn't. She's no longer a queen. She's beautiful. She is literally the top socialite on her planet. Um, it, it really doesn't hold water that that would be the case. Now, they don't say she doesn't, but the stuff, the physicality that we're getting in this, if they cut it, like as soon as they roll on top and then kiss, we would have been like, oh, this is when they make babies. And that would have been fine because that's frankly, let's be real. We're all human beings. That's when that would have happened. But instead, they actually show them literally rolling. It's barely even at a decline, rolling in a field over and over again until she's on top of it. I'm like, the sexual tension here is upsetting. It's no longer implied. It's no longer presented. It's just a confusing abomination of, of someone who is, it's like, and I, I, I apologize, James Patterson, if this wasn't you, um, but if it was, you need to be aware of this. 
uh, in one of his uh, young adult books, he writes a 14 year old boy uh, in the beginning thinking girls have cooties. That is, pardon my French, fucked up. That's weird. 14 year old is not a cootie age, but people who are adults forget that all kids are not seven. So, or five. So um, that happens. This is one of those cases. I will say, and again, not an apologist in any way, shape, or form for this film. It's my least favorite. Uh, I will say, watching it again, uh, so fresh, and and after having seen, you know, what thousands of more movies in my lifetime, it really feels like Lucas's vision of this part of the film uh, was to have their romance be like a very 1940s cinema Hollywood romance. Everything is cheesecloth. It's very blown out. Everything is sunny. They're giggling all the time. And then they have the one beach blanket conversation. Uh, okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a picnic quilt. It's a, it's a conversation primarily about how Anakin thinks that smashing the Republic is probably the best option. Right? So there's so many red flags that Padme like overlooks in this series, I'm like, I'm like, look, is he that hot? Like, I, I'm like, really? Like, sure. But he like knew her top before. himbo of the Jedi Order. Like that sure. was my thought. Like she fell in love with him because of his innocence, like reaction to who she was as like right. a nobody. As and, a kid, like, that, he was slick. Right. I mean, I mean he, was he was, and then slick. He almost became a dullard, though. Yeah, yeah he's very, well, he's stunted, right? Like he's very stunted. And here's the thing about these movies, watching them for the umpteenth time that I've come to realize, the elements for everything to work the way they intended are actually there, but their focus and presentation is often lacking. So it would make sense if he doesn't have the social wherewithal um, that someone who is his age should have if normally socialized. That makes sense, but they don't really touch on that. They show it, but they don't touch on it, but no one clearly reacts to it. Like he oversteps his bounds several times uh, with with Queen Amadilla, but it, it seems like it's treated as, well, he's strong-willed and that's his issue. When really a big part of it would seem to be, he's a little off. He doesn't understand interactions effectively. Um, and there's a lot of us out there, right? I mean, they don't get that. And we have to learn um, to recognize it. And he's not had that ability to do that. He's essentially been living with monks uh, who live in a space Marriott. And uh, what, what I don't... So those romance scenes are really brutal for me. They're really brutal. They're, they're painful. I don't do well with romance anyway when it's really hokey. Um, unless it's an old film. And then I feel like it's sort of like, oh... This kills the pacing of the movie. It super kills the pacing because we go from people, we go from lightsaber battles to frolicking with space cows. To, to, um, yeah, the sound of music with cows. Very sound of music. So again, it's one of those cases where I'm sure that George Lucas had very specific filmic references for these scenes that he pulled from and he might've nailed aspects of them that I'm not aware of, but they don't work in the film setting. Um, needless to say, Jango Fett, so this this movie devolves, this is why I actually, my biggest complaint about this film is not actually the romance or any of the other stuff, because like I said, the opening is fantastic. Um, it feels like Star Wars, there's some great fight scenes. It does have a lot of story coming out, um, We but we get two things. One, we get a bunch of Senate bullshit. No, it's like the animus for video game players. It's the animus segments of Assassin's Creed. No one cares. No one wants to go from running across Victorian rooftops to 
all of a sudden walking around an office building. That's my life. I don't want that. Like, um, it's the same thing. No one wants to go from my fantasy world to uh, two teenagers discovering sexuality. Like, that's not what I want. Um, and then the end of this movie devolves into, we don't know how to end this, but we need an active climax. So we'll do what every movie does who doesn't know how to do this. We go to an arena battle. I say that with a grain of salt because my favorite things are arena battle movies. Just people after people fighting each other, monsters, the whole thing. It's the greatest setup in the world. It's it's why uh, it's it's why anything that's a ripoff of Mortal Kombat will call me in. But in this case, it seems rather uninspired. We don't really have any reason for this to be happening. I don't know why Django Fett didn't just wasn't just ordered to kill them and instead put them in a pit to fight monsters that are all weirdly unique. Um, it, it didn't make sense. It's not that the action is bad. It just doesn't make sense plot wise. We also get uh, this big Jedi battle. The only true Jedi battle we actually get with a bunch of Jedis. And I felt like it was a little underwhelming. Um, where they, they fight a bunch of droids because right now, at this point in the film series, the clones aren't available yet. And the droid army is uh, what the resistance has. So there's the, the uh, Republic, which is the quote unquote good guys that are being taken over surreptitiously by the bad guys. And then we have, it's a winter soldier situation. And then we have um, the, the trade federation and the separatists which are led by count dooku played by the amazing christopher lee i miss him every day uh so we get a really great lightsaber fight at some point in this mess between um yoda and count dooku and it was the wow moment of this entire trilogy probably because seeing yoda do these crazy acrobatics and being little it actually worked for me it was one of those shocking moments where if you'd explained it to me i would have said that's fucking stupid it's not going to work it's going to be terrible and then i watched it and i'm like oh this is actually really impressive i like this a lot um i don't know tad did you feel the same way about that not when i originally saw it i <laughs> thought it was fucking stupid the thing is is that as i got older and i understood things a little bit better is it made sense for yoda to constantly downplay how mm -hmm. powerful he actually was and frankly he had reached a level of expertise in the force and understanding and he didn't need to be flashy about anything mm -hmm. the problem is is that, that the movie demanded it and i felt like that kind of detracted from yoda's Fair. character in general i felt like Fair. like i get the idea of dragging basically a master monk into a war we have plenty of old good chinese and japanese cinema that that plays on exactly that it's like that. you got to drag the monk out from the temple and he's going to kick a bunch of fucking ass the problem is with yoda is the whole point of yoda was the thing that he'd been stating in the original trilogy size matters not judge me by by my size do you except that it's like well i'm also a little hurricane of death and don't fuck <laughs> with me it's, it kind of it kind of yeah. defeats the whole idea that he didn't need to do that that he was sure. more powerful without the lightsaber. It's kind of like the whole idea of, I hated the fact, and I guess we'll, now, you know what, I'll save that till the next one. Okay. Because it's a part of Revenge of the Sith. We'll get into that because it's the same theme, but I'll, but I'll skip that for now. Overall, this, I agree with you about how this is the worst of, the, of this trilogy. I don't think this is the worst Star Wars movie. But this is one of those movies where I cannot rewatch this because I fall 
literally asleep in the middle of this goddamn movie. One, surprisingly, it's too long. Two, the more I watch it, the more I realize that if they had just turned The Phantom Menace into more like a like a flashback and just started the trilogy right around the the time when they're they're doing the whole scene that we actually like where they're jumping through windows and having yeah. car chases it's like wow that would have been a great start to the trilogy instead it was a whole lot of build-up for a universe that basically lucas wasn't actually going to really exp- or a chunk of the universe he wasn't going to expand on for another five years at this right. point and the only reason he did is because he felt compelled to because the prequels weren't well received so he's like okay i gotta tell more you, you didn't have enough time lucas sorry no, and that's and that's fair. And I think, and I, I, it could be because I I dislike this movie so much when it came out that I, I saw it the I've rewatched it the least, but I actually found myself a little much more engaged than I expected to in this one. And I kind of have a new respect for it, which sounds weird, but the pacing is abysmal because, as you said, the middle drags because you have scenes of action cut with scenes that. We, it's set up that we know already. We know the purpose. They're falling in love. Move on with it. It doesn't help anything. It's also um, not like charming love. It's kind no. of crazy. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that could have been done well and it would have it been received been. well. Sure. I think it was just a, a matter of execution that it well, just was... For sure. And let's, let's and say... I, so, there was one thing I was thinking back on um, as well is that like it did rub me the wrong way that like this romance was just so off-putting and there were red flags and it wasn't something you're like oh this is like it just makes everyone feel kind of gross everyone i've talked to um it i doubt that lucas like really meant it to come off that way but i was also like it kind of makes sense that that's what the relationship was because like look where they ended up like this is Mm -hmm. it can't be like a quote-unquote good relationship right. this can't like be a happy trilogy it can't be a healthy relationship because of like where things end up it's like he yeah. turns into darth vader so like it's not it's not gonna be it it shouldn't be good and then something takes like a left turn at some point yeah. and he just suddenly becomes like a jerk like it has to be rooted somewhere for it to mm-hmm. make sense um it's just unfortunate that they did not really make it more clear like that they didn't do more like showing or like kind of dropping the breadcrumbs a little yeah. bit you know like versus it just giving everyone the ebgb and we'll talk about this in episode three i think because that's really where the turn happens right it has to happen in there uh the big turn to darth vader because that's the last movie in the trilogy but it's like i said it's with the cruel thing it's a similar thing with um the joker film which you know, it's you're gonna have a hard time making an antagonist out of a villain without making them not a villain. You're gonna have a real hard time with that. Um, I don't know that it's really ever been done in in effective short form and a film, despite how long two and a half hours can feel, it's short form, right? So, um, you know, it's not a novel series. So to wrap out, I, I will, as we said, this movie ends with this arena fight um, I do want to give a shout out. Uh, Natalie Portman as always is beautiful. Um, I didn't really appreciate the fact that she goes from these regal gowns and these amazing outfits to um, a crop top with no bra. Like, 
it seemed i'm not complaining i guess but it seemed a little forced like you know we got because they know what they're doing i mean we got um you know we got princess leia leia in a gold bikini um so like i i get it but and it is i guess a little more respectful than that at least it's something a human would wear um like by their choice but it just you know getting cut by the monster to then i don't know exactly i kept trying to catch when her outfit went from a full like shirt and pants or bodysuit to the crop top because it's supposed to be the same top but it really doesn't work it just at one point she gets scratched and then she has a tube top or a crop top it just it's the same it okay one thing um don't forget that george lucas said there are no bras in space one and two um it runs in the family nathan princess leia didn't wear bras why I mean, would her I'm mother not, have i'm not complaining i'm not com i'm like i'm like look i think i think uh i mean it, it in this movie hayden christensen showed that he has some abs why is he wearing a shirt he's wearing like 36 layers it's it's the freaking two sons or three sons get rid of the shirts i get it um it just it seemed forced that she's the only one that has to lose clothing let's get everybody naked they're on a planet why don't we make it conan for an I think hour we can it's all fine. agree on um so so that's fine um but anyway the uh the the cavalry arrives yoda shows up which seems unnecessary because he just stays in a helicopter the whole time um but they <clears throat> they rescue everyone from the pit mace windu uh played by beloved uh colton classic podcast favorite samuel L. jackson uh decapitates Django fett boba fett's clone daddy uh and we get this really harrowing uh final shot it's a pretty good shot there are a lot of good shots in this trilogy we'll give it that they frame certain things very well um looking into the face of his dad's helmet with the severed head still in it like kneeling like that was a good scene um it was disappointing i remember at the time for me because we all loved boba fett and we got so little of him in the original trilogy and we finally got a boba fett like character the origin and He's a little underwhelming. Not that he was a bad fighter. It makes sense because Boba Fett's a clone who's been raised, presumably trained since childhood. Whereas Jango Fett, as far as we know, is just a bounty hunter. Um, who knows how he got into it? I'm sure some weirdo out there thinks he knows the canon story, but it hasn't been in film, so it hasn't been canon. Um, I'm sure we'll get more of it in the Book of Boba Fett series on Disney+. Plus. But anyway, it was a good scene. So I mean, also being beaten by Mace Windu, like who's considered in canon as like the best fighter of all jedi uh, true which is it's upsetting. including yoda i actually yeah. remember mace windu being a disappointing character because i didn't feel like he got up but actually he got a little bit more than i expected in this trilogy and then i remembered and i actually and of course the samuel jackson he has gravitas himself i mean he, i kept expecting him to say you know there's some motherfucking sith on my motherfucking planet um which <laughs> go ahead and send me the clip mr jackson i would be very grateful to hear it uh <clears throat> but anyway so it ends when they are uh it basically ends with them joining with the new clone army right yes okay so we get set up for the third movie and this is where i'm gonna cut off um this episode because it has gone on very long we have a lot to say on this and when we pick up next week's episode part two we'll be concluding this we'll talk about the third movie and overall the series but I'm not going to give you guys recommendations for this because one, most people have already seen this film who are big Star Wars fans. If you're younger or you haven't and you're just into Star Wars now or you want to get into Star Wars, um, let's let's give a recommendation on should you watch these first or should you watch the original 1977 starting trilogy first? I'll go on this. 
I think you should watch the original 70s trilogy first because much like a video game that's a prequel to an earlier game, even though they're depicting events that take place on the, in the timeline of the, the world that's being built before the older movies, they're made for audiences who have seen the older movies. So watch the original Star Wars A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi before you watch the prequel trilogy. That's what I'm going to say. What about you, Mandy? I agree 100%. If you watch episode one without having seen episodes four, five, and six, they are not going to make any sense, and you're going to care even less about who Anakin Skywalker is fair what about you tad what do you think on that always watch the prequels after because treat it as the world's shittiest flashback <laughs> that's that's harsh but not necessarily there's some basis for it uh Jeff. i think it could also be like his biography like like darth vader's like biography that he writes it's it's interesting you say that <laughs> because Sorry, I actually was, like a whole sidebar yeah. i was i was thinking about Tad, jeff we will not i will not forget you but um, I was thinking about this. There's a, and I, I wish, um, I feel bad because I don't remember the author's name at one point. Somebody comment below on this and let me know, remind me. Um, but there was a comic book author who worked for Marvel. He's worked for all of them, but he worked for Marvel who wrote an arc on Punisher that I absolutely despised. Um, and then he wrote uh, the Book of Doom for Marvel um, about Dr. Doom's origins, which was a, a mini series. And I read it, I bought it without realizing it was him. And I was like, I don't want to, God dang, I don't want to read this. But then I was like, well, I have it. And it looks interesting. And I read it and it was brilliant. So clearly all of us make mistakes. And, but the idea was, is it was Dr. Doom having invited a journalist in his, in his castle to tell him his history. And it was so well done because at the end of it, he's like, he, first off, he takes off his master showman's real face and he's a Dr. Doom robot. He's a droid. He's not even the real Dr. Doom, but in the Marvel universe, the droids don't know that they're droids. Um, and so the journalist is like, what? Uh, okay, well, thanks. And then he's like, oh, you can't leave. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what? He's like, I said, I'd tell you my story. I didn't say you could share it. And so he's, it ends with this journalist being locked in the castle, presumably until he dies. And like, it was a brilliant story. And we could have gotten that exact same framing device from Vader and imagine this we would actually have gotten it from Vader's perspective which would have eliminated the need to make him sympathetic and believable because we don't know the validity of what he's telling so that would have been very interesting um who knew what if Jeff would you recommend watching the uh early production or produced Star Wars films first or the prequel trilogy you know what you're going to get a little cliffhanger at the end of your episode because I refuse the answer because I'm going to answer it in the next episode. Oh, Jeff coming in. I promise it's not a marketing tool. He's just going rogue. Uh, that's so Anakin of you. Um, yeah, so I'm going to uh, sign off this episode, part one of the Star Wars prequel trilogy saga. Listen next week for part two, where we wrap up this series uh, and give you our ultimate recommendations and thoughts. And as always, please subscribe uh, and write a review wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com uh, slash Colton Classic Podcast. Check out our website, coltonclassicpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter is my name, uh, at Nate Wyckoff. Instagram and Facebook are at Colton Classic Podcast. We really appreciate you guys and hope you enjoy part one. Listen next week for part two. To play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.